I pretty immediately went to online dating, which was only computers at that time. Nobody had smartphones. So, you know, I can remember going into the office, logging on with dial-up, and (laughs) (laughs) it's so funny to think about. Ding, ding, ding. Listening to Date Smart with Taylor Wade. 20 years ago, I co founded Ambiance Matchmaking, an exclusive matchmaking agency that has helped over 100,000 singles master their dating lives. In this podcast, I share the same tactics and techniques with you. We'll dive into the basics of human attraction and chemistry, what makes a compatible partnership, does the one exist, plus much, much more. We'll do it all with the help of matchmaker Leslie Wardman, who started matchmaking in the 1990s. Mastering your dating life is easier than you think. It's just a matter of science and a little know-how. So grab your coffee, follow along, and don't forget to hit subscribe. million Americans now roam online dating sites in search of their better half. In fact, 39% of couples report meeting online, compared to only 22% in 2009. It's surprising how much online dating has displaced the role of friends and family in meeting a life partner, and it shows how our relationship with technology is deepening to a whole new level. How did we get here, and how does this new trend impact our lives and our society at large? In order to answer these questions, I need to take you back to a place where smartphones don't yet exist, the 1990s. Considering I had just graduated from diapers during this time, I'm going to let someone else tell this story. Meet Don, a 51-year-old entrepreneur from the American Midwest. Don? Yeah, hi. Don's dating journey spans three entirely different eras. Letters, pagers, and call stations in the 90s, the highly stigmatized online dating days in the early 2000s, and the era of Tinder swipe parties in the 2010s. People say dating used to be more simple back in the day, but after hearing Don's story, you'll think twice. But I'll let you decide for yourself. So I was dating in Oklahoma City in the early 90s. Then I went to work for Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines. And then I moved to the cruise ship and I was on a cruise ship for five years. We would be on board for six months, you know, never leaving the cruise ship. So it was kind of funny on the cruise ship because most people had two lives. They had a life on the cruise ship and then they had their lives at home or wherever they went to. In my case... I would come home for four for a month and kind of see the same person I had been seeing at home before I left for the cruise ship. But then I would also go travel and meet people along the ways during that period of time and then go back to the cruise ship. It was very odd lifestyle. And a lot of that was because, at, you know, what you didn't know about the future was that we didn't have cell phones, you know. Right. So that environment did not lead to being able to communicate very well. I was just wondering, like, how do you keep in touch with these people? I guess through email. Yeah, letters. (laughs) Letters, Letters. okay. There was not an email situation 
In fact, I was on the cruise ship when they created a position to move computers on board. So normally we had computers on the ship, but we did not have the internet, obviously. And so that process happened really, you know, after I got off of the cruise ship. Basically, we had an IT person that would be on the cruise ship and they would upload information that they got from a floppy disk. At the end of the day, there was no communication via email for any of us with anybody that we were dating. It was all via letters or by satellite phones on the, cru on the cruise ship, which were extremely expensive, like $20 per minute oh, wow. to talk. So you didn't do that. And so then you would get off and go to what they called a call station and you would pay for so many minutes of phone time and or the computer time and you could get on the computer that way. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah, not so easy to communicate. No. How, how was that? And it sounds like you were on the go quite a bit too. Like you said, like yeah. when you got home, you were traveling a bunch. And so like, what yeah. was your main form of communication with these guys? Like the guys that you met and uh, kept in contact with? Letters letters that would catch up and that that would take a long time to catch up because if somebody sent me a letter to Oklahoma City address at my mother's place then you know it could be a long time she would then mail if i was on the cruise ship at the at the beginning of a of a term of 6 months then she would mail the letter on to me there i would have you know i would get off call this call station tell her which cruise ship i was on tell her what address to send things to and she would send me my mail and then you know when I was off of the cruise ship, people would still just mail my mother things and, you know, it would take a minute for me to get them. Yeah. It usually would just sit at my mom's house until I went back to a cruise ship. Right. Okay. And then from these letters, how would you even try to arrange to meet up? It seems like it'd just be so difficult. It was. It was really difficult. Uh, I mean, I can give you some examples. Uh, there was a bit when I dated somebody from one of the islands that I met on Grand Cayman Island. I dated a firefighter there. And he would, when I would stop off in Grand Cayman, he would come to the cruise ship and meet me. So in those kinds of ways, it was real easy, but I was also a 20-something-year-old kid. So, I mean, not it was real difficult to meet up, but sometimes it was beneficial because when you're in your 20s as a female, sometimes you just don't want, you don't want to deal with confrontation and hard talk. So if I didn't want to talk to somebody anymore, I would actually ask to be transferred off of a cruise ship. Or I would, in the example of this guy on Grand Cayman, I just wouldn't, get off the ship to go talk to him. Right. <laughs> <Just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> Not getting off today. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, in that case, he was just, he would come and he would beg the officers to beg me to come, you know, and so there was, and it was really funny too, because we would get these, the way we talked was through pagers. You know what pagers are? Yes, I do. Yeah. An officer would page me at the purser's desk and I would then, he would tell me what number to call him on and, and it would be a cruise ship phone that was sitting near where he was at. And I would pick that, you know, like an extension, like in a hotel. And um, I would call that number and he'd say, oh, you have to come down here. He's here. He's got a present for, you know. And I was like, no, tell him I'm not coming, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are trying to get guests on and off the cruise ship. So it was really funny to know all the behind the scenes. Yeah, scenarios. dating drama back in the day. Dating drama <laughs> yeah. on the cruise yeah, even though it sounds incredibly difficult, it also sounds incredibly romantic. I mean, today's dating culture pales in comparison to back then when you were writing letters and planning to meet someone at the cruise dock that you haven't seen in months. I mean, 
Now you just send out a message that takes about five seconds and you have a date by nightfall. I mean, <laughs> so how would you describe that whole experience? I think definitely there was build up to it. You know, like all these young girls today, would ha- they have a lot of anxiety. I don't know if we had less anxiety about it. I felt like we had anxiety, you know, because you were like, is he going to call me? Is he going to call me? And there were days that you would just be looking every day in the mail for something, or you would be waiting to hear if there was a message from someone, you know, to call you. So, you know, there were a lot of different levels that um, you were just waiting for. So, but I don't remember being real anxious about it. And now if somebody doesn't get a text back within a minute, you know, everyone's second guessing that whole, (laughs) you know, So it's kind of funny. Did you have any like misconnections? Like you missed a letter, maybe you left the day before he sent a letter? Oh, or... oh my God, it was just the worst. Uh, the boyfriend that I had that was on again, off again here, um, one time in my on again, off again, you have to realize I put him through hell for three and a half years and to where he finally moved on. And um, I remember when he moved on, I just was like, well, shit, he moved on. That's not fair. I was going to eventually marry this guy. You know, I was running around having a good time thinking I was going to come back and marry him. So when he left me three and a half years later for someone else and wrote me a Dear John letter, I got that letter and I just came right home. You know, after that, you know, I was like a month away from vacation. I came running home and fought for him to win him back and was going to stay off of the cruise ships. And I remember he was really involved with this girl and, um, he was trying to date both of us and I was okay with that because of course I'd left him so much. And I remember he didn't do, you know, what I wanted him to do for whatever reason, you know, who knows? I wanted him to choose. That's what it was. I wanted him to choose her and I after, you know, a month and a half and he didn't do it. He wouldn't just pick me or he's like, you've put me through hell for three and a half years. So when he didn't, I remember I called him one time and left him a message and he didn't return my call, you know, like, within a day or something. And so I called the cruise ship and said, Hey, I'm coming back. You know, I'm not waiting around on this guy to, you know, figure it out. Yeah. And so I scheduled that to happen. And then he called me back and he's like, Oh my God, now I want you back. And that was, I was like, well, I've already said I would go back on the cruise, you know? So there was that whole, um, missed opportunity for us because I went back to the cruise ship. Oh, wow. And, uh, I mean, I was literally driving to the airport to get on the plane when he called me to say, hey, I want us to work out. I was like, oh my gosh, no. Yeah. <laughs> so it was Wow. Oh. In your head, were you, you were just so sad on going back to the cruise ship. You're like, I'm not going back to this. It was too much of a headache. Or what were you thinking? Well, I went back to the cruise ship. I, I got on the cruise dock because I was already in Miami. And I got on the cruise dock and I called him from the, from the payphone. And I said, we came up with a plan. He's like, he had a lot of credit card debt. And I said, well, why don't I go back on the cruise ship? And, you know, I was able to pay all of my you know, I was debt free. I said, and then that way we will pay off your credit card debt and in six months, and then we'll get back together. You know, we'll be able to get married and we won't have any debt. And so that was what we, that's what we agreed to do when we got off the phone. And then I got off of the cruise ship in Jamaica to call him. And when I called him on the pay phone on the dock in Jamaica, 
the the girlfriend answered the, his phone. No. <laughs> at like six o'clock in the morning. Oh no. And I remember I just hung the phone up and I didn't yeah. talk to him for like a year and a half. And you know, his excuse for that a year and a half later was, you know, he she had just dropped by to pick him up to go somewhere, you know, six o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you know, if we had cell phones, we'd have been calling each other and possibly able to work that out. But you would—I mean, it would have been easier just to have, I guess, those more serious conversations. Yes, he probably didn't. I guess he didn't know that you were planning on marrying him when you were, you know, done with your. No, and and he probably didn't. Like you, you know, like you said, it was all you know, letters and whatnot. Dawn's nomadic lifestyle, combined with the lack of technology, made her dating life complicated, to say the least. But even homebodies had a difficult time connecting with potential mates. Before cell phones existed, you had to call your potential partner's landline. This was almost always shared with parents and siblings, and you never knew who was spying on your calls. Of course, it was purely a matter of luck whether the person you were anxiously contacting was even at home. Most times, you'd get the landline's answering machine, which was like voicemail, but with cassette tapes. And a lot of the time, messages were incoherent. But let's just assume you were lucky enough to connect via that telephone wired to your kitchen wall. Then what? Well, then you had to arrange to meet at an exact location at an exact time, and if your date was running late, you'd have to stay in that exact spot for minutes, maybe even hours. It seems shocking in retrospect that we as humans could actually keep relationships going before cell phones. So yeah, dating wasn't as simple as people make it out to be. All of it just makes you wonder, what if... For example, what if Dawn and the guy she was planning to marry had cell phones? But all of that was about to change. In 1997, Dawn remembers getting her very first cell. When I came out of my marriage, we all had cell phones. And I remember having a cell phone, but I mean, the texting was not a thing and definitely not pictures. But at least we had cell phones. So that was a step up. Uh, but I don't remember the cell phone being a huge deal, even in 97. That's surprising. I was just going to say that must have changed everything for you, but that's surprising. It didn't. I mean, you still waited for a phone call from, in my case, from whatever men were in my life that I, you know, but I don't remember like, um, it was a really big deal that you had your cell phone, you know, you still were waiting around kind of waiting for the phone calls and texting was definitely not something that you did really right doing much texting at my you know at 27 just having the phone though with you did you feel like less i mean i know you didn't really feel anxious to begin with but i would just assume that there would be a, lo- a lower level of anxiety just knowing that like there wasn't going to be any sort of like miss i don't know misconnection or miscommunication because you have that cell phone on you really in my mind it didn't feel any different than the cruise ship days which is weird to me like in my mind I didn't feel like oh this is easier dating or oh this but it could have been because I was young and in my 20s and there's so many people and so much availability you know and all the things that were happening around me were just happening so I didn't have much anxiety about it and I didn't have a lot of anxiety about dating until after my second marriage in the 2000s the 2000s is when it got weird 
Dawn says she didn't have a lot of anxiety about dating until the 2000s when things got weird. So what exactly happened in the early 2000s? Well, let me set the scene for you. By the late 90s, early 2000s, online dating was exploding. In 96, Match.com had 100,000 users, but only 5% of Americans had internet access. Then, in 98, Match.com hosted 1.8 million profiles after they crafted a huge PR campaign to change the stigma that it wasn't only for the socially awkward. Then, You've Got Mail made its premiere in 98, transforming online dating stigma into every single woman hoping to find a Tom Hanks in their inbox. I turn on my computer. I go online. Welcome. Welcome. And my breath catches in my chest until I hear three little words. You've got, got mail. mail. So just imagine what it must have been like when Dawn, just coming out of a divorce in 2000, found herself amidst an entirely new digital dating world. So yeah, so flash forward to, okay, the year you came out of your second marriage. Marriage was 2000. 2000. Okay, let's talk about that then. So... Was that a whole new world? What, what that was <laughs> that was an entire new world. In the 2000s, I remember not really wanting to go and drink beer or do this or, or like work real hard to organically meet people because I was busy working, busy raising children. And so I actually, the first time I, I can remember being at work and then coming home and saying, you know, it's 9 p.m. I live in a small town. I'm going to get on Craigslist. So I remember I put a Craigslist ad in, like yeah, the Mac. Craigslist. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I did that and got, you know, I, I, I was bored. I just wanted to communicate with people, men specific. And so I, you know, talked to probably hundreds. I want to say that very first weekend I met somebody that I dated on and off for four years. Oh, on wow. Craigslist. That's when all the anxiety with the phone came up because there was texting was starting to really happen for me. So just trying to read into it. Everybody reads into the texts. And I remember trying to just do background checks. I remember at one of the main things I did was add my girlfriends onto my find my friends when I went to go meet him because I wanted them to be able to know where I was at and what I was doing. So, you know, there's anxiety there. There was just a lot of things to consider people telling you you're crazy for meeting someone off Craigslist. <laughs> right. I was just going to ask about how strong the stigma was. I, I know around online dating and I'm assuming Craigslist was probably even worse back then. <laughs> oh yeah. Everybody was like, I can't believe that. Well, you know, and me and this, this guy that I ended up dating forever um, on and off for four years was, we were very compatible, you know, and it was just some, it became a big deal right away. Just, you know, three months after my marriage, which was obviously too quick to get involved seriously, but I wasn't, that's why I wasn't using Craigslist as a serious uh, tool. You know, I was just trying to dip my toe and talk to people. Yeah. People used to make fun of us all the time because we met on Craigslist. What was, I mean, what was going through your mind the first time you were like using Craigslist for um, online dating? I, I remember just thinking that it was fun. Like I wasn't going to get, you know, I thank God I don't have to go sit at a bar and drink beer to do this, you know, <laughs> yeah. communicating with people and reading into their crazy responses or, you know, you kind of immediately knew who somebody was because he would send you an awful sexual innuendo type and you're just like delete, delete, like you had a lot of power in it. 
Right, that makes sense. Whenever you said that there was anxiety around texting at the time, why was that? Was it just because communication could be misconstrued or it was just... I think so. I think it was because, like, what do you write back? You know, how fast do you text back? When do you, you know, it's like, what are the rules here? Like, from from school age, communication and dating was all about talking and letters and will you be my date to the prom? And, you know, there was not all these different ways to communicate. And now all of a sudden there's Facebook, there's, you know, my ex-husband actually, he had an affair and he met and communicated with his this woman through a fake Facebook account via Facebook Messenger. And that's oh, how no. they were. So there were all these new ways to get dating. And what were the rules in between that? You know, like my daughter who grew up with texting and this form of communication, it's a whole lot easier. You know, they were making up the rules. Whereas mm-hmm. when you're my, an older person and you're re, you're entering into this stage and you don't know the rules, you're like, well, what are the rules? You know. Dawn wasn't the only one trying to navigate this new world. Meet Rob, a 61-year-old founder of a renewable energy company called Terra Star Energy. Rob was also just coming out of a divorce and found himself in a whole new dating environment. The year was 2005 in a small town in North Carolina. Rob? There we go. Here we go. I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Long time no see. Okay, so let's talk about 2005. You had just come out of your divorce. You were ready to start dating again. What did you do? I'd heard about the you know online dating stuff, and it just sounded really fishy to me. And I, you know, I didn't want to give up information and whatever. So I just didn't do it. And then things weren't working out with that girl. And when we broke up, I thought, well, I'm going to give this thing a try. Then I tried Match. I was actually fairly happy with Match.com. I mean, I had a, hur- a mental hurdle to get over to do it because right. you put yourself, you're putting yourself out there. Like now, I don't, wouldn't think anything of it. Describe what your friends and family were saying. People looked at me like I was from Mars. So they're like, why would you do that? And I don't know, what else am I going to do? Like, you know, I live in a town of 30,000 people and most of them are married, you know? So uh, if I want to find somebody, this is what I've got to do. And so I did it, but I know this, there was a stigma to it. They all, my friends who knew I was doing it thought I was crazy. And that was why I was so circumspect when I was putting my information out there too, is that I was just, you know, I didn't, I wasn't comfortable doing it. And as I did it more, I got more comfortable with it. And describe your experience using the actual platform of Match.com, you know, going through profiles and then actually going to meet these women. You know, you can size them up fairly well. I'll say fairly well because everybody misrepresents themselves. And many of the women I went out with were nuts. Yeah. (laughs) So, So what you saw on paper was not necessarily how it turned out to be in real life. Up to this point, Rob had been online dating for an entire 10 years. So as you can imagine, he was burnt out to say the least, but his luck was about to change. The funny part of all this is, is that after being on Match.com, I was I'd, I had an account up until a few years ago and I was it was literally down like the last day. Like, and I thought, you know, I'm done. I'm not gonna renew this. This is bullshit. I'm tired of all the nonsense. I was driving all over the place and 
and not needing anybody. And I thought, well, I'm just going to move. I mean, that was my solution. I'm going to sell my house. I'm going to move to, my kids are living in Austin, Texas. I thought, well, I'll just move there. And Mm -hmm. then there'll be lots of women to choose from and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Literally that last day of my account, I went on, on my online and there was a, I was just scrolling through available, you know, potential dates and up pops a picture of this beautiful woman who I've, I didn't really know, but I knew who she was and was a friend of her now ex-husband's. And I said, like, are you kidding? Like, you're you're dating? And I said, you know, I want to get together? And she lives literally one mile away, just right over oh, wow. here. And uh, we hit it off right away and we've been together ever since. And um, the funny part is after all of this, dating people as far away as Tulsa for crying out loud. <laughs> Here I find this woman who I really like just a mile up the street. A mile away. Life is so funny. It is. And oh, and to make make it even more coincidental, she just went on with like a sample account for like an hour. She was was homesick one day and kind of in a feverish mood. And she's the last person in the world to ever put herself out there like that. But she did. And I just happened to see it. The one hour she was on and the one that last day of my account, we actually had the irony is, you know, we used online dating, even though she's a a mile down the street and in a a town of 30,000 people, we probably could have met each other, but we wouldn't have. So So it's kind of a weird twist to the story. Now we've gotten a glimpse into why online dating was exploding. It was actually working for people. Rob's 10 years of online dating had finally paid off. Granted, it took a lot of hard work, like meeting tons of people that had misrepresented themselves in their profiles. After doing some digging on the Pew Research Center, I actually found that an entire 54% of online daters felt that someone else seriously misrepresented themselves in their profile. So I wanted to talk to one last person that could give me insight into what else people were experiencing with this new technology. Meet Jennifer, a 51-year-old librarian living in Kenosha, Wisconsin. She started online dating in 2008, shortly after coming out of a divorce. Right away, I knew like I didn't want to like, you know, poach on men at my kids' soccer games to meet people. <laughs> so I pretty immediately went to online dating, which was only computers at that time. Nobody had smartphones. So, you know, I can remember going into the office, logging on with dial-up, and (laughs) it's so funny to think about. Ding, ding, ding. I think what I used was um, Plenty of Fish. Maybe the first one I used, though, was Match. I think the first thing that I had to figure out was there are some people who definitely want to just connect through messages, like, forever. You know, I don't know what their story is but you know when you're new you're like oh I'm connecting and I would always kind of wait for a guy to ask me out and and I realized with some people I was like this is never gonna happen like they just want a pen pal. After hearing Jennifer's story I started looking into it. In fact in 2005 only 43% of online daters had gone on a date with someone they met through an online dating site. That means that 57% of online daters weren't dating at all. They were essentially pen pals. This 
second thing I had to figure out was how to meet somebody who actually wanted to date someone in a relationship way where you like spend time doing other things than having sex. I think what tricky is that you know some people would be really straightforward I mean there's always like you know the bald sex seekers right and especially if they were a lot younger than me they would say very funny things like you know do you like your feet licked would be their opening line <laughs> so but then there's there would be some men who they'd be like yeah I want a relationship and I think that for some, they sincerely meant it. It's just that their notion of what a relationship is just getting together and you're having sex and maybe a little conversation. And that's just like as far as their relationship capacities go. You know, for some people, it's just they just want to date someone like the rest of their life. You know, they don't want to live with someone or marry someone. The person dating has the rudder for their dating experience. So if you don't have a rudder, you're gonna have even more wacky and disappointing experiences. I mean, I certainly won't have regrets that I didn't try. I didn't get myself out there. And these apps have given me a vehicle to do that. Or as a teacher in a female-dominated career, mother of three, in a town that I didn't necessarily feel like there's a lot of men for me. I've been very um, appreciative that it exists. Or what would I be doing? Ugh, I don't want to think. <laughs> Online dating opened up the possibilities for many people and served as a tool to meet singles they wouldn't otherwise meet in their small social circles. It could be a significant aid for those that knew how to navigate the murky waters of online dating. But with each year that passed, the waters got just a little bit murkier. By 2010, fake profiles and scammers were widespread. A class action lawsuit filed in 2010 alleged that Match.com kept thousands of inactive and fraudulent profiles on the site to boost its numbers. And in 2015, the FTC reported that people lost $33 million to romance scams. In one case, the victim of a scam describes how she was duped out of $2 million by an online suitor she had never met. I knew that just based on the conversations that we'd had, that he was someone that I would like to meet. I felt a, a real soul connection with him right away. And we sang to each other, we prayed with each other. We'd talk about what happened at church on Sunday. There wasn't an immediate talk about getting together. Uh, he was trying to finish up a job in California, and he needed um, some money to help finish that job up. And so um, I sent him. I thought about it long and hard. I prayed about it, and I've always been a very giving person, and I figured if I had money in the account um, that I could send him some money, and he promised to have it back within 24, 48 hours. And I thought, could do that, no one would ever know, and I'd be okay. But 
you know, one thing kept happening after another. Um, he'd need more money because he was coming in over budget. Um, things didn't get done on time. You know, he needed a lawyer. He, he had to take a money loan and it needed to be paid back. Part of me thinks that he's gonna come through and pay me back what he owes me and, you know, swoop in here, be the knight in shining armor. But it's just so absurd that there's a big part of me that doesn't believe that. And that is where this is all so pitiful is because if he's a scammer, I've been so brainwashed and I've lost everything. It's all I had. Uh, It's any inheritance that I could have passed on my daughter. This chilling story was becoming more and more common at the turn of the decade, but scams weren't the only concern facing the rise of technology in the 2010s. When the decade began, tech meant promise. It connected us in ways we could barely imagine, but somewhere along the way, technology became an insidious part of our dating lives and relationships. What happened? You'll have to wait for part two to find out. This is part one of our two-part series on the evolution of modern dating. This podcast was hosted by me, Taylor Wade, and is brought to you by Ambiance Matchmaking, an exclusive matchmaking agency for selective singles. Complete an application by clicking the link in the episode show notes or going to ambiancematchmaking.com forward slash apply. Hit subscribe to get notified when part two is released. You can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. It helps other find our show. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ambiance Match, and we'll see you next time.